Be at peace once again, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Sometimes we suffer from unintended consequences of our actions. Has that ever happened to you? Andrew was actually in charge of the engineering and begun this project at Douglas before I got involved. But I joined right in with him. We were taking down the old TVs. They were heavy. I mean, massive things like this, dating from, I don't know, the Stone Age, somewhere like that. And we had gone through about 15 of them. We were working on one, and I could not turn the nuts enough to get it loose. I said, this one's different, Andrew. I don't know what in the world's going on. They all had three bolts on them. And they are very heavy things, so we're both up there ready to catch it. And I kept turning and turning and turning. I said, I can't understand it. These bolts must be 18 inches long. About that time, it turned loose. We caught it. Simultaneously, we heard another crash in the room on the other side. I said, Andrew, I think something fell over there. <laughs> we ran around. Somebody, some genius, had figured out if he got bolts long enough, he could tie two TVs up with the same set of bolts. <laughs> and that TV came down, didn't it, Andrew? We are in a psalm today, Psalm 116. It is a beautiful psalm. It is part of the Egyptian hallelujah. That is Psalms 111 through 118, and they're about the flight from Egypt and all the things that happened, intended and unintended, in that wandering in the wilderness and the salvation that God brought them from the mud pits in Egypt. Psalms 113 and 114 were read prior to the celebration of the Passover every year. And Psalms 115 through 118 were read at the end, or sung at the end of the Passover. So we're reading a psalm used by Israel every year in the celebration of the Passover, remembering the deliverance from Egypt. I want to read it for you. It's a beautiful psalm. Some people think David wrote it. I don't know who wrote it. It's anonymous. Verse 1 says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, He saved me. Be at rest once more, O oh my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay I said, all men are liars. 
How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can you say that? Praise the Lord. Say it again. Praise the Lord. We praise the Lord whether times are good or times are bad. We praise him because he is worthy of praise. We have a fundamental assumption about life, and that is this. God is good. God is good. Picture God turning his ear. Can you picture it? Picture God turning his ear. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call upon him as long as I live. Historically, they sent up their cries to the Lord when they were in the mud pits of Egypt, slaves to the Egyptians, and God turned his ear to them. When you turn your ear, something scientific happens. You hear better. The sound waves get to your eardrum better when you turn your ear. If you are in a busy restaurant and people are talking all around and your wife starts trying to talk to you, you might lean over and turn your ear toward her. God does not need to improve his hearing. This is an anthropomorphism. God doesn't have ears like I do. All right? God is spirit. But here's the point. When you turn your ear to the wife in the restaurant, you are paying attention to her. You got to quit wandering off now, husband. You got to pay attention. You're not listening as good as you should. When you turn your ear, she appreciates it. She knows you're focusing on what she's about to say. Isn't that true? And this is the point. God has made me his focus. Out of all the clamor in the world and all the words being spoken, God has turned his ear to me. That is, he has given me his attention. And it's an amazing thing. You may wonder when you say your prayers how God can sort out all the millions of prayers now going up from the planet to him. You need to embrace this truth. God turns his ear to you. God turns his ear to you. When you speak, it's like you're the only person in the world. He hears every nuance. He knows your heart. 
He understands the things you cannot put into words. Feelings that are beyond words, too deep for words. He knows them. When you groan, he understands why, though nobody else in the world understands. God perfectly knows the impulse of your heart. He turns his ear to you. This is why the psalmist can say what might hesitate in your mouth. I love the Lord. You have any trouble with the devotion of worship? I love the Lord. He starts it. He starts the psalm by making this confession. I love the Lord. Do you love the Lord? See, if you had been born a slave and all your life you worked for another and then one day God turned his ear toward you and heard your cry and delivered you out of that miry pit, you would love him and you would confess it. And this is exactly what he has done. This is absolutely what God does for everybody in the room. Not deserving it. Not because we have been so good. When we are in trouble, God hears our cry. When we are overwhelmed by trouble and sorrow, he turns his ear toward us. And he delivers us. Often when I pray in the hospital, I tell the Lord, God, you've heard us a hundred times before. Would that be true in your life? Has God heard you a hundred times? Has he turned his ear towards you and you prayed and things changed? And God heard your cry? Lord, you've heard us a hundred times before we prayed and you healed us. We cried to you and you heard us. And now we're coming to you again. And maybe this is the most desperate time we've ever had. But we love you. Because you, you've turned your ear toward us. And delivered us when we talked to you before. Picture. The God of heaven turning his ear toward you. Something in us says, I don't deserve the attention of God. God shouldn't be listening to my prayers. I'm too great a sinner. I've done too many things wrong. I know the person who wrote this passage, and if it was David, we know even more, had the same kind of failings that you suffer with, and yet God heard his cry. He loves to show mercy. He loves it. You know, the psalmist says here, I cried for mercy. Mercy is different from grace. Grace does not necessarily imply guilt, but mercy does. 
I show you mercy only if you deserve punishment and I forego it. You've earned something else, but I give you mercy instead. That's what you cry for. You go to God crying for mercy. We don't want justice from God. If God gives us justice, we're in trouble. All of sin and the wages of sin is death. We want God to forego his justice and give us mercy. And he loves to do it. His loving kindness is better than life. He loves extending mercy to you. Why are you worried that your sin will be a forever barrier between you and God? It will not. Only if you let it will it cloud your view of God. God loves to forgive. He loves to extend mercy. You confess and forsake your sin, you'll prosper, the scripture says. It's when you hide it that disaster comes. Picture God turning his ear toward you. Feel the cords. You see that in verse 3? The cords of death entangled me. Feel the cords. Have you ever been swimming in a pond full of weeds and the weeds got wrapped around your feet? You almost have to grow up in a country for this to occur, all right? But it does occur, and sometimes it'll make you panic to get weeds wrapped around you. When Jonah prayed from the belly of the whale, of the great fish, you know what he said to God? The seaweeds wrapped around my head. I suppose he thought he was going to die there in that great fish. David, I know, had times when he felt like the cords of death had encircled him. It was like these long roots that just grew around his life and tied him up. He felt like he'd been captured by these cords of death. The cords of death entangled me. I think about Jesus dying on the cross. Praying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And going into the darkness. Some people think these are words of the Messiah in Psalm 116. And properly seen in the mouth of our Lord, the son of your maid servant, at the end of the psalm it says. When Jesus died with the cords of death wrapped around him, he died for us all. You experience the cords of death in your mind and in your heart. This is not unfamiliar to you. Sometimes it's because other folks have died and you are in grief and sorrow. And sometimes it is because of your own mortality and it presses upon you. And the fact that you are mortal and will one day die, and you certainly will, if the Lord tarries, everybody in this room will have their name on a tombstone. You know, in the book of Hebrews, the writer said something powerful. It's chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that is Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, 
he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. You know anything about the slavery of the fear of death? Does that ever trouble you? I remember that young woman coming up to me just a couple weeks ago, stretching out her arms and saying, look at me. Look at me. And needle marks up and down her arms. An infection that had caused sores on her arms and a great big bandage on her bicep. She said, I'm going to die. I've I got to get off this street. I've been addicted to heroin for 13 years. Pray for me. Yeah. We know what it feels like to be captured by a behavior or an attitude or a habit or an addiction that try our best we cannot seem to escape. It stays there in our mind. We go to God in prayer and say, Lord, cleanse me. Break this thing that's in my life. I want to be free of this. And over and over again, we come to God often with the same thing. God, I can't seem to get free. The cords of death entangle us. And we know what the answer is. The answer is faith in Christ who died upon the cross to break the hold of death on us. If you feel the cords today, you feel like you've been tied up in spirit. Sometimes you can hardly breathe. You have the panic attacks and you wonder what it is. There's a God in heaven who knows your plight. Jesus died on the cross to set you free, to clip those cords. If Christ shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He intends for you to live on this planet free of the fear of death. So that you, like Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead there in Bethany, in that sea of tombs, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. The poet said later in his life, when Lazarus was threatened with death for his faith in Christ, he just smiled. <laughs> Been there. Been there before. We serve a God who raised Jesus from the dead and death has no more dominion over us. Amen? We don't sorrow like those who have no hope. We sorrow but not like people who have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, then we also know that we who believe in him shall come forth when he blows the trumpet. 
Paul declares that in 1 Corinthians 15. If in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most to be pitied, he says. But now we know that Jesus has rose from the dead and is the first fruits of those who are asleep. God's going to change this mortal into an immortal. And this corruptible into an incorruptible. Just like he did with Jesus when he rose him from the dead. Say, feel the cords and know that Jesus has set you free. Be at rest. Verse 7. I love this verse. We need to put this one up on the wall. In our mind, in our heart. Be at rest once more, oh my soul, for the Lord's been good to you. Do you see that once more there? Be at rest once more, oh my soul. You ought to tell yourself. Now, the, the poet is telling himself this. Be at rest, oh my soul. In other parts, he's talking to God, but here he's talking to himself. Be at rest, oh my soul. Hey, me. Hey, you there with the red shirt. Be at rest. Be at rest once more. I was at rest before. Were you? Do you remember being at rest? You remember peace? Remember those days when, when you had peace, when you slept well? You remember when you lived in the glow of the deliverance of God? Did you ever have that peace that passes understanding? Be at peace once more. How come you got so fretful? You're older in Christ, but you don't have the peace you used to have. What happened to the faith that fed your peace? Be at peace once more. You worry too much about the bad in the world. The peace that God gives you comes from focusing on how good he is. Be at peace once more, O oh my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. The Lord's been good to you. Oh, I don't know. Can you confess that? The Lord's been good to you. There are people in the room battling all kinds of diseases and troubles, hardships and headaches. Can you confess it? The Lord's been good to you. You will find your peace in a new confidence in the goodness of God in your life. That God's been good to you. That he is a good God. And what he intends for you is good. It will change your life when you discover that God is good. God's good. Fundamentally, it's a part of his nature. And he is good to you. Lord, let the peace flow. But I don't understand while all this happened. Hey, God has a peace for you that passes understanding, all right? It passes understanding. You can't process this peace. You think if you could figure out life like you do the crossword puzzle in the newspaper, you'd be at peace. If life would just work out for you like every Sudoku puzzle, where all the numbers get in the right boxes and you look and everything's matched, you'd be at peace. But life's not that kind of puzzle, is it? 
You work on all the boxes, but you can't make all the sums come out. And you think, if I knew the answer to my questions, then I would have peace. No, you wouldn't. You've lost your peace, not because you don't understand, but because you don't trust. It went out when faith ebbed away, not knowledge. You're smarter than you've ever been, brother. You got vertical files that are six feet tall. Your hard drive ran out of space for all the stuff you've been storing. You're smarter than you've ever been. It's not a lack of knowledge that made your peace ebb away. You failed to trust the God who is essentially good. Be at peace. Believe and speak. I think it's intriguing. I believe, verse 10 says, I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. How do you like that? I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay, I said, all men are liars. People of faith sometimes are dismayed. But you got to have faith to speak when the trouble comes. There are so many places in life where if you don't believe, you have nothing to say. There's just nothing to say. Paul quotes this verse, verse 10. I believed, therefore I said. He quotes it in 2 Corinthians 4, 13. And he says there in that verse, I believed, therefore I spoke. And then he says, with this same spirit of faith, I believe and confess the resurrection of Jesus. And he goes into a discussion of the resurrection, quoting from this verse, I believed, therefore I said. People of faith, we need to speak. There's a world out there that is silent before the tragedy and sorrow that every human being faces. They don't know what to say. We must confess what the psalm says here. We serve a God that is good. And he is good every day, all the time. And in every circumstance, no matter how difficult, we can say, he deserves praise. And he has been good to me. We want to give him praise and walk before the Lord in the land of the living, as the psalmist says here. Your word of faith is powerful in the place where you live, in the family that you have, and the circle of your friends. Believe and speak, and speak the truth. The psalmist says here, I said I am greatly afflicted. It's okay to confess that. We don't teach 
And the scripture doesn't teach that you just deny your pain so it won't be there. That's not faith. There's no point in saying, I'm not sick, if you are. Or nobody died if they did. Faith is honest. And in his faith, he said, I am greatly afflicted. And then he has this curious statement. All men are liars. By the way, women, that includes you too, all right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sometimes we men feel pretty good about the, the one gender usage you have in the Bible, you know. They say some things about men, and we think, yeah, that's true about men. That's also true about women, okay? So, all men and women are liars. What? What's happening here? Everybody's got an alternative route for you. Everybody. Everybody on the planet. And I think the main lie is that there's salvation some other way than in faith in Christ. That's the main lie. The main lie, God, uh, that the devil wants to feed you and God wants to correct in you is that there is salvation and rescue and deliverance for you in some other route. The Hebrews learned it in Egypt. There's one way out of this pit, and it's God. And if he hears, he will rescue us. And if he doesn't hear, we have no hope but him. And Jesus said, clear as it could be, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God has one appointed way for you to find salvation, deliverance, and rescue in your life. And breaking the bonds of sin and death in you. And it happens one way. It is through faith in Christ. And there is no other way. And people will feed you the lie. There are millions of people living in the lie. That if they just go through all this suffering they're enduring right now. And they endure it and... and and uh, try not to fight it and just stay in their little station in life, then in their next incarnation, they'll move up on the chain. Reincarnation, the notion that your soul's going to go into somebody else or something else later on, is a serious bondage on this planet. People accept as fate a state that is miserable and full of death. And they will not fight it because that's what I was meant to be. You know, it's written in the stars. You can't change your destiny. Baloney. Baloney. Jesus came to give you a new future, and you can have it if you trust him. Are you trapped by that? You really think it's your horoscope and that's all there is? You were born under that sign and that's your life, baby. You bought the lie. You bought the lie. You're not trapped by the stars or a process of reincarnation or anything else. You are liberated by faith in Christ. You are made to... To be with and love God, he made you for himself. He has planned for you a wonderful purpose. 
Jesus said, I'm come that you might not stay in your cast your entire life, that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that it might be full and overflow. And Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you just believed in me, I'd give you water. There'd be an artesian well of life in you. We're so full of excuses for the way we are, who we are. Blaming everybody and everything. We buy the lie that we're trapped in our spot when Jesus died on the cross to lift us out of the clay and set our feet on the rock. Life fundamentally changes when you place your faith in Christ. He is the liberator. He came to set the captive free. The great lie is there's nothing you can do. You're just stuck with your heritage, with your history, with your genetics. God has a new future for you. Trust him. He came to give you abundance. See death through eyes of faith. Verse 15 is a famous verse. I love this verse. I've quoted it before at the graveside. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You can whisper that verse to people you know who lose loved ones and just say, precious in the Lord is the death of his saints. See death through eyes of faith. God wants to give you a new perspective. As God's children, we do not die without purpose or plan. Death itself is of great concern to God. He often pulls us back from the brink of death, rescuing us as he did this author who was wrapped in death's cords. And when the time approaches for us to die, God is our nurse. He stands by our deathbed. He smooths our pillow and touches our brow. This moment of transition from time to eternity is of great importance to him. It is one of the awesome miracles that you will experience as a believer when you die. You will find him there when death draws near. I've told you before about Leon Watson who lost an eye in a barroom brawl and was 60 years old when he trusted Jesus as Savior. And we baptized him. He was a rough and tumble character in Gladewater, Texas. And he got cancer shortly after he was saved. And I went to see him in the hospital. And when I got there, he was eager to tell me what had happened. And I could see he was near death's door. He said to me, Pastor, I woke up last night and looked at the foot of my bed 
And Jesus was standing there. And all night long, every time I opened my eyes, Jesus was standing at the foot of my bed. You know what? I believe Jesus was standing by the foot of that man's bed. Have you ever been there when a believer died? Have you been by the bed? You know, God is present. It is a precious moment to him. Your death will be too. If you tarry and succumb to death, it's going to be precious to the God who loves you, made you, sent his son to die on the cross for your sins so that you could have life that never ends, life eternal. He's already got your name on his table. Your name is on that door in that room in glory. He's got your place reserved. And when you die, he's there. Jesus said it like this. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Let's bow together. I tell you, there's nothing more powerful than trusting in Christ, giving him your life, surrendering your all to him, and knowing that your eternal future is secure with him that you are forever his. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever given your life to Christ? This lock, stock, and barrel said, God, all I am I give to you. The bad, the good, the everything. This would be a great moment just to speak your faith and surrender your heart to the God who loves you. Lord, we fail you so often, but you are unfailingly faithful to us. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your love that reaches to the heavens. Lord, for your goodness that knows no bounds. Thank you that you are the good and gracious God who loves to give mercy. I pray today for men and women, boys and girls in this room who need to experience your salvation like the psalmist talked about here. God, that they would express their heart to you, confess their sin, and receive your life. Lord, I pray for believers who used to have peace but lost it somewhere along life's journey, that you would whisper to them, be at peace once more, O my soul. God, grant your peace. Pour it upon this room. Help us to leave this place in peace, trusting in your goodness and faithfulness to us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.